You are Locked On Browns, your daily podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, how's everybody doing? Uh, we had mentioned this, and we're going to get to it here. Um, actually, you know, with this, obviously, free agent additions, and obviously we did it all through the regular season. You know, got down once a week with John Costco from Pro Football Focus, get their lens, obviously, during the season of what went on, you know, during the week. You know, I mean, who played well, you know, and see sometimes if what we all saw on the TV translated into the grades. Um, but now we're going to get and get them out of the lenses. Uh, we're going to get there, the thought process from Pro Football Focus. Uh, John's actually going to be able to go deep on some of the smaller guys. He'll explain actually how, you know, you look, I mean, <laughs> these guys cover everybody. But you can almost cover everybody. He'll explain how he's got information on Forbes. And uh, we'll let John try to butcher the last name of the young man at Idaho State. Um, but your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound here on Locked On Browns. Guys, remember your hands free, whether it's in the car or Alexa at home. Play Locked On Browns podcast. Have the latest episode brought up. John, first things first, after a long weekend and a busy draft season. How you holding up, bud? Hey, Ben. Pretty good, man. It's, uh, you know, it's off in time and everything. Uh, obviously, less, I guess, less important for most Browns fans because, you know, you're finally getting the franchise quarterback. But, um, you know, we still do our thing over here at PFF, and uh, it's been good. Um, so uh, now it's basically into, it definitely slows down in terms of the things we do with PFF, getting more ready for the season as opposed to the draft prospects. But, yeah, it's been good. And then there's the whole home life where it's, hey, hi, honey, you've got help with math homework tonight. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I mean, guys, could you keep the draft a little bit more quiet so maybe wives don't know and we can pretend we're still got to do things? But that is what it is. Uh, obviously, we know first round selection. And, you know, Thursday night was interesting. And maybe we'll go back, you know, have you come back here another time. We'll talk about other teams' draft in general. Uh, but I thought you know, the way Thursday night played out in round one, it, it put the Browns in a very, very favorable position. Obviously, they you know they were never going to have a shot at either of the top two linebackers, even though they wanted linebackers. And I, I think it was everyone kind of feels it was Devin White, Devin Bush. Well, for me, Devin Bush, Devin White. And then it was scroll to page three, and now we'll talk about the linebackers ranked between three and fifteen. Um, so you know, obviously that you kind of fell into their hands. Uh, the cornerbacks, it didn't really go much early, which was good, obviously, you know, with uh, you know, the Browns making two selections at the cornerback position. Uh, safety, uh, you know, I think some guys really took a tumble who were some really talented football players. Uh, you know, obviously, Thorn, Thornhill went a lot later than I anticipated. Obviously, our guy Chauncey Gardner-Johnson went a lot later than anticipated. Um, but we'll start it off here. Uh, obviously, they were at pick 49, and then they traded up to 46, and now, just, now, John, everybody, Jeff, video yourself, video. So there I am, and all oh, waiting to hear my guy out of Michigan State's name called Justin Lane. And I'm like, yeah, we're just erasing all these videos. Nobody's seeing this ever. But Greedy Williams falls into your lap at 46. This, first thing, I, I don't believe anybody would have believed Greedy Williams would have fell to 46. Uh, there were some questions, you know, is there maybe an injury? Um, obviously, the article was put out when he skipped the the bowl game about how important his family was and the, felt, the fact that he, you know, he felt that he, he needs to put everything on his shoulders to try to improve a lot of people's lives, including his own young daughter. But Greedy Williams, under the scope here, John, you, what exactly are we getting? Yeah, so, um, I, like, I agree with you, that that. Thursday night went really well for the Browns because, A, they didn't trade up into the first round, um, which would have obviously been, a, a you know, you're giving up probably your, a future one or two to do that, and so that's pretty substantial. Um, 
because of where they were at in, in the second round. So being able just to move up three spots in the in the second uh, and just giving up a fifth rounder, which is essentially like, well, let's take a shot on this type of guy. Um, you know, that's what the fifth round is. So giving up that is for Greedy Williams, who we had as a top 10 player in this draft. We had our number nine overall, our number two quarterback behind Byron Murphy. Our best press cover draft. And obviously he has the speed. He had you know, with his transitions, uh, really smooth hips. He's able to obviously like press and go uh, and mirror uh, really, you know, bigger wide receivers, quicker wide receivers as well. So guy that was, um, you know, like we had as a top 10 player in this draft and they were able to get him at, at 46 in the middle of the second round is quite, quite the, uh, the value there. Um, I think, I think another reason that he, you know, he didn't have any single visits pre-draft to any of the teams. I'm not sure why that's the case. And, you know, who knows if it, he met with anybody at at the combine and all that. So, um, you know, who knows what ex- exactly why he he dropped? I think part of it might be that he's not good in run defense. But I don't care about his run defense if he's you know shutting down opposing wide receivers. Uh, and you know, I, I we went with this you know a little bit last year with Denzel Ward. Yeah, there were some people who had their critics of you know how much and obviously first preseason game. What did Denzel do? Took a 15 yard t- targeting penalty. Say no, look, I'll hit. Don't worry about it. Uh, but maybe you're gonna pay me for these hits. And you know, make Greedy Williams obviously the financial implications there. Um, but I, I, I love the selection. Uh, now you look at the fact and look and the other great thing here with Greedy is is there's no pressure. He doesn't have to start week one. If he does, that's fantastic. But, you know, everybody kind of liked what Terrence Mitchell brought last year. Uh, obviously, you know, T.J. Carey, uh, you know, the other gains is back. Uh, Tavier Thomas carved out a role on special teams last year, a little bit more for him. So we can just kind of ease his way in. But, I mean, there's no doubt here uh, you've got a nice quarterback duo, uh, you know, going further with this franchise. And everybody always wants to talk about the window. Absolutely. You talk about the window. But now that you've, you know, re, you know, done the D-line you know, through uh, trades and free agency and you should be able to add some more pass rush, uh, you should have which should be two future lockdown guys and you know i almost think it's it would never be a you know a one two it could be one a you know one b and a lot of it'll be just on the opponents they're facing that week but just to add greedy williams to denzel ward and the fact that you got him at 46 and maybe you wanted to got him at 49 so whatever he paid a little chump change in a fifth round pick um we, we talked about this a ton i we have we never thought eight picks eight draft picks were gonna make this team anyway so if you just wanted to take the gamble make the safe sure spot that you were gonna get greedy williams Extremely, extremely glad to have him. Um, now, this one this one got a little interesting. Um, I, a lot of people obviously had him pegged as a day three guy. Uh, Sonoe Takitaki out of Brigham Young University. Uh, I, John, I like the size. I think he tested better than people would have ever thought a guy at his size would have tested. Uh, let's get into it. I mean, what did you guys have? Yeah, so um, we had Takitaki as a much better prospect than Mac Wilson. I know like people compare them because obviously they're both linebackers and now they're in the Browns and stuff like that. And there was this preconceived uh notion that Mac Wilson was a you know a second round talent and that if he would have stayed another year he'd be a first round talent. But I mean Taki Taki is a better you know, linebacker prospect overall, just because Mac Wilson was a five-star recruit coming out of high school, he never lived up to that expectation in college, especially at, you know, an Alabama program that really kind of will make those linebackers really good. You know, they'll, they'll shine in that defense. Um, and he wasn't able to do so. And then you also take on the consideration that his, his uh, measurables were pretty just average across the board. Look at Taki Taki. 
He's a, his measures are pretty elite across the board. Uh, he has speed for days. He's a guy that uh, was a converted edge defender. So in 2017, he played over 600 snaps, at, you know, at, on the edge. And then in 2018, he was, you know, over 600 snaps as an off-ball linebacker. So he's still learning the position and was already a better, you know, he graded out better in all facets of the game than Mac Wilson did. And this is a guy who, who you know, if you want, he can. He's kind of in the mold of the, you know, Gennard Avery, where you can put him on the edge, you can put drop him back, you can do multiple different things with him. So he's a really versatile player there, and he's getting better in coverage. Uh, he was a guy that was able to line up in the slot and out wide, you know, mirror, you know, following the tight ends and backs out there, and did a really good job with it. And so this is a, you know. He needs, you know, obviously needs more ta- uh, coaching up. His tackling was a bit suspect because he was just literally just a, a heat-seeking missile out there and <laughs> would pursue things. But um, I think I think the upside there with him is is really strong, especially because he can get to, you know, he can drop back in coverage and get to spots that that Mac Wilson will never get to because of his speed. And so I think that's you know one of the things is that you've got that versatility with him with that speed. Uh, and able to get you know rush the passer and everything, so I, I like this pick. Um, you know, I think maybe it's a little bit of a reach. I don't. Maybe he wouldn't have been drafted in the third round. Maybe it's early for fourth round. But you know, if you hit him, especially third round and later, if you're hitting on these guys, you know, you, you're you're getting a good player or whatever. So that that would be perfectly fine value in in hindsight. Uh, and the one thing that just stands out, and like you said, the heat sitting missile man. I mean, you know, you ain't got to tell this dude, hey, we're going live. Uh, you're gonna have to tell this dude, no, we're not going live. It's just thud. Take it easy. Um, obviously, you know, you lost Jamie Collins. We have no idea where they're at with Christian Kirksey, or if you know Christian Kirksey, even if healthy, could even be the player that is now making the money that Christian Kirksey is. So you've got to, you've got to hedge that bet. And you do that here with uh, Sanoe Taki Taki. Um, it gives you flexibility. If Joe ends up being worth more than the Browns are willing to give him, you know, as much as I love Joe Schobert, I want him to get every dime he's got coming to him. I don't want him to take no hometown deal. Nobody should take a hometown deal. Go get your money. So if he's got to, you know, if they're going to have to move on with Joe or if it comes down to Joe or Demarius or it comes down to both of them go, you're finding a way to get some guys in here where you're not just going to put them on the spot in 2020. They're going to get some meaningful reps in the 19 season. That's where Taki Taki comes in. And, John, this is just the best part of it. I keep thinking, you know, this guy makes a big play and dilly dilly is terrible of a thing as that was just imagine first energy talkie talkie those people would be lit up and nuts and uh but you just like the guy and you know i love the fact that you know he himself admits you know look i was a screw up i was a knucklehead got himself right before he, you know as he was realizing maybe i'm blowing every opportunity i've got here and then just came back and obviously like you said the general avery route you know uh played you know closer to you know, played edge then went to a little bit linebacker as a captain his last year just absolutely tore it up with almost 120 tackles uh, i'm really looking forward to him and the energy he's going to bring in obviously in the Browns we saw way too many street free agents get meaningful reps at the linebacker position last year let's let's not redo that part <laughs> let's not do that one again yeah uh, and part of that obviously you had the injuries and stuff like that but like I think you know you're the moves that they're making is you know obviously you have your your starters and they they draft these guys that hey you know when the if we can't pay these guys we're at least got their replacements in in place uh but I think you know 
Well, like you, you mentioned about Kirksey, I think Kirksey can really have a bounce back year. Last year, I think was more of an anomaly than really kind of the norm because he had about you know average to above average grades throughout his entire career. And then last year, I mean, he had one of the worst grades of any linebacker in the NFL. And I think usually when you see something like that, you know, obviously you can contribute to uh, attribute it to to uh, injuries. Uh, the system, Greg Williams' system is just awful for any linebacker, really, for the most part. And so um, I think with a better system, with a more, you know, a defensive coordinator that has, you know, dro- doesn't drop them 20 yards in, on first and 10, um, will we'll be better for Kirksey. So I think, I'm, you know, as long as he's healthy and, and stuff, I think we'll see a bounce back year from Kirksey. Which would only benefit them. And actually, I remember the, the the best game Christian Kirksey had last year was actually when he filled in for Joe in the Tampa game uh, and ended up uh, you know, uh, coming up with two turnovers in that game. But you know, a rough year, obviously, he was injured early, then came back, and then you know, final injury, which you know kind of put the nail in the coffin on his 18th season. Um, you know, Jamie Collins. You know, and guys, anybody's got any questions about Jamie Collins? Check current available free agents, and you might find out about Jamie Collins. Uh, remember to get this show every day. Subscribe to Locked On Browns on the new Himalaya podcast app. In an ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with the personally curated playlists and new features every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and make sure you're subscribed to Locked On Browns. Now, John, uh, obviously safety here in the fourth round. Um, you know, this is you know, I mean, obviously Chauncey Gardner Johnson made it to the fourth round. You know, that would have probably cost. Either, yes, a 20 pick or some future capital. He was a guy I really liked. Um, but Sheldon Redwine, uh, you know, coverage great. I think you guys had him pretty good. But you, the, what you watch of him, this guy's nasty. I mean, you know, he hits. And this goes along with Taki Taki. These guys are physical. Yeah. Um, these, Redwine is, not a, is, is definitely a guy that I think they got good value on. And obviously, the position need, he's kind of in the mold of, of uh, Demarius Randall in terms of, you know, he can play deep and he's and out wide. You're not going to put him in the box or anything like that because he, he does struggle a bit there. But he, in, in coverage, he had the, the, he the 10th most uh, coverage stops in the, in the ACC. Um, or the third, sorry, the third most with 10 coverage stops. And so, he you know, he has that ability to make those plays in coverage uh, coming up for short gains. Also, a Really good as a pass rusher too, so you got some versatility there if you're needing, you know, to have some type of safety blitz. Um, and then he's really good deep. He had one of the best grades in the entire nation playing as a deep free safety. Um, and this is yeah, this is a guy that I think you you put him. You don't have to start him obviously day one. This is what's the the great thing about the Browns roster right now is that you've got a lot of pieces there that you put you draft somebody they can learn and develop. And then when it's time for them to, to play, they, they can excel and instead of throwing them into the fire. So I think this is a guy that sees a lot of snaps on, on special teams early with, you know, you know, maybe 10 or 15 plays on defense, uh, you know, as the season goes along. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's a great he's great tackler. He's, you know, he's a sure tackler and he's great in coverage. And really, that's what you want from your safety. And he tested pretty well. So, I mean, it's just, you know, and we had talked about this a couple of times with the show show with Pete. It's just, you know. Sometimes everybody, you know, associates these schools, and you got to remember some of these schools just aren't regarded the way they used to be. You know, currently USC, I admit it, Florida State, obviously Miami, these guys, these schools aren't considered, you know, the factories that they were. It doesn't mean that there's still not some athletic, solid players coming out of it, but, you know, when the program's on a whole, take a whole, sometimes, you know, the players, you know, kind of can go along with it. But it's going to be interesting. The only request I have is if we're going to have a sixth hurricane in the building is I don't want to see that turnover chain. 
that thing can stay in South Beach. Uh, and now, John, obviously that'll bring us to, uh, you know, obviously no, no, uh, Mac Wilson, fifth round selection. I think it got to the point where, look, I mean, when you see a guy who you knew was probably regarded by some as a top 45 guy, and then obviously you know, the process didn't go so great, you're sitting here in fifth round, and then, then you're starting to weigh the pros and the cons, and one of them is is the kid's literally turning 21 years old today. So, you know, is there a bunch he doesn't know? Uh, you know, did he never really get to the point where work ethic fueled his fire? Um, so, you know, for what you're going to get in the fifth round, which also could have easily been a, a selection that would have been out of here by Labor Day, you get a guy who, if you give him a little time and starts with some confidence, it's it's a nice gamble in round five. Yeah, I, I suppose so. I mean, he's not a guy that we had highly regarded um, he didn't create all that well in, you know, at Alabama. He, like earlier I said, he had like basically average grades across the board each of his years. I mean, he had the 92nd overall grade among draft class linebackers this year. So it's not some, somebody that, I mean, yeah, because he's a five-star recruit, he's going to have this hype that's around him. And also going to Alabama, there's that hype. But, you know, he's a guy that was average, you know, slightly above average in his 40 at a 471. He... Look at the Novo or whatever his name. He had a four five eight short shuttle. So like at a guy who's you know seventy pounds heavier is you know just like a tenth of a second slower in his short shuttle. So this is a guy that like maybe it's because he had the poor work ethic in college and you know his attitude was like oh I'm a five star recruit I I've got got it all made I'll go to the NFL and I'll get you know drafted in the first or second round and then maybe this humbles him and it puts him to to light a fire under him to to get it to work. I don't know, but I think you know he's is it, you know at, at the worst you're getting a special teams player that did grade decently well in special teams his his sophomore year. So um, you know there's there's some upside in that, and perhaps he you know grooms and learns and grows and gets better as uh, for a couple years on the bench essentially and this as a backup, and maybe he becomes something. So we'll see. It's a gamble here. Look, any almost any selection they made in the fifth round was going to be a gamble of the way things going, and maybe they're not even done working on the roster yet. Obviously, we hear the Gerald McCoy rumors and stuff like that. So, it's you know, and everybody likes to put up a ninety-man roster, but I mean, who are we kidding, guys? I think we're pretty set at about probably 45, 46, whatever. I'm going to sit down and actually do that activity once here, just to go with probably sure for our guys who are on this. And then, uh, well, and this is, you know, obviously, look, I wasn't thrilled with the pick when it was first made. Uh, just, you know, the, well, first off, there were other linebackers like better. The other one, it, it just, I don't know, felt, it felt like you're just chasing a guy because for the sake of the fact that he went to Alabama. Then, in the fifth round, John, and look, this is, this, and I told everybody before the draft, this is always my credo, credo, is I will not draft a kicker or a punter. I will not draft a kicker or a punter. Fifth round, Austin Seibert out of Oklahoma. Um, apparently, uh, I'm not sure what was on his Twitter account, because apparently the guy deleted every tweet he had ever put out, so that always makes you wonder a little bit. But uh, the guy scored a tremendous amount of points in his days down in Norman, John. Yeah, when when did he delete, did he delete everything? Was uh, it like the day of or something? No, apparently this came out in the last 24 hours or so, so. Yeah, I mean, like... There were some funny tweets in there, though. When he left, he's like, oh, I want to thank everybody for my 70 years seventy years here on campus. I was like, all right, well, if he's funny, maybe I'm all right with this. Well, I mean, like, who, you, you get you get things like the... Um, one, he's a kicker, so, like, nobody's really going to care. But, like, people people tweet stuff when they're 14 years old that are exactly. just stupid that 
that can come back and bite you in the butt for no reason whatsoever because every 14-year-old has never made a mistake, right? So, um, But anyways, I mean, it's a kicker, man. Um, he graded decently well. That's all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, like I don't – like as a, when it comes to kickers, you look at Zane Gonzalez. He, had, he set records, and he also had a booming leg, and he like – was accurate in college, whereas as from Siebert, he didn't like he only had like three made field goals from fifty plus, and then was you know okay from everywhere else or whatever. He was, he was solid from everywhere else, but like Dang, Zane Gonzalez had made like seven fifty plus yarders. He was seven of ten, I think, as, as a senior or whatever coming out of college. And you're thinking, man, this guy's got a booming leg and he can make big big kicks or whatever. Why not take him? And then obviously he's essentially, you know, been was cut and had his issues in, in the pros. So I mean, I I don't evaluate kickers. I don't know how to evaluate him because I don't look at the position except for whether or not he made it and what you know. There's technique that goes along with it. I'll trust you know the coaches to maybe figure that out. Though it's that's basically that's. I mean, that's really all I have. I got on on a kicker because I just don't. I don't evaluate <laughs> the position. Like, who does? Do you know? Do you know anybody that actually goes in there and looks at it? No. Which for me, it always like look. Um, for me, it would be. Oh well, I really like this kicker. For me, it would be give me the best athletic player available. I don't care what position he plays. That would be my two cents in the war room. Um, look. Bottom line: find me somebody that can kick a forty-seven to forty-eight yard field goal with two seconds on the clock. I don't care where he came from. I don't care if he's 21. I don't care if he's 38. We're going to score a boatload of touchdowns, but we may get into a situation or two where there's three seconds on the clock and we need somebody to split the uprights from 40, you know, and from 45 to 50 yards. Find me that guy. That's who. That's what I need. Here's a red flag for him, though. He missed. He missed the field goal against Texas. The there, that's an that's that is a rival. Their biggest rival. So I tell you, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> But, but the you know, point is, is can you, I don't know. Yeah. Can you be there for? Yeah. Are you gonna, Are you going to hit the pressure? Are you going to hit the money kicks? Right. I, I guess. You know, just if you if you have a kick, just make it. But and I, I just don't. I don't agree with like spending draft capital on a guy. But you yep. know, whatever. If if he becomes a a top five kicker for the next fifteen years, I think it's worth it. Maybe. Kid, make your extra points, and when you're asked upon, because this team's probably going to only attempt ten to twelve field goals a season. Make 10 to 12, whatever, just something, I don't know. Uh, obviously, then there, this is where it got really interesting. Uh, now, Forbes out of southeastern Missouri State, uh, you know, the article came out today in uh, Monday Morning Quarterback that the Browns were one of the few teams that felt athletically he can stay at left tackle. I know uh, Dane Brugler was a guy who absolutely loved this selection. I think Gil Brandt had him extremely high as well. And, you know, it's it's nice to see some people saying, oh, well, this is a nice selection for the Browns. And then I believe, I don't know where John was where he said it, and he's like, we know there were two or three teams right behind us that kind of were on the same path with us. So it was, you know, it was now or never. But they went ahead and pulled the trigger. And between him, and God bless this young man until we get his last name right, uh, these are two guys, and it's going to be interesting. Obviously, they've done a lot, brought in a lot into the offensive line room here. But guys like this and their athletic profile and there's some mean and nasty with Forbes when I've watched them play. So athleticism, I mean, it's all about just making that jump. But as you're going to tell us, John, these guys played some FBS competition. Yeah, so when the way we, we grade college is that obviously we're doing FBS opponent or teams across the board. And then if you've played an FBS opponent, then we obviously got 
grades and stuff like that. And you, and then at the end of the season, when it comes to it, we get we you know poll teams and be like, hey, you know, I know there's like F- FCS opponents that or players that you're very interested in. So we get, you know, we get the four or five teams that we want to they want to look at, and we will grade those after the season. Uh, neither one of these teams, you know, Idaho State or Southeast Missouri State, were teams that were requested the most. But these guys did have a significant number of snaps over the years against FBS opponents. Uh, Drew Forbes, the guy that they took in the in the sixth round, uh, had 166 snaps in pass protection. Didn't have, didn't give up a single sack. Did give up two hits and two hurries. Uh, so not not too bad of production there. You know, giving up a pressure percentage of just 2.4 percent, which is at a, it is at an elite level there. Um, did get as well. Uh, but the thing is, what you want to look for in these guys is that hey, did they dominate their opponents uh, in the FCS? You know, the the lower level of competition. I just say, you know, I, I can't say if they did or not. You can look at their highlights, and it looks like they did. But they also did hold up against FBS opponents when they had to go a step up. So that is a positive sign. And then you obviously want to take these guys that are elite athletes at the position. Both guys are. I know, you know. I think it's Kent Lee Platt who does the RAS scores. It's a good job of kind of like highlighting an overall athleticism for the position. But really when it looks when you look at these offensive tackles, the most predictive trait, like you're looking at just the combine metrics, is their three-cone. And both guys were excellent in their three-cone drills. So I think it's these are really solid, you know, it was really good pick, especially in the sixth round for a guy that has the elite athleticism and really good production against FBS opponents. And then uh, Fanaganofo, who uh, obviously elite at athleticism and really solid production as well. So um, pretty much, you know, at least we got some data on them and we'll see how they go moving forward. But I think they have, uh, you know, potential to make the team. Uh, well, and this is where obviously Campman comes in, and like, you know we've talked about this a couple of other times, guys. But th- this is what his history was with Green Bay. You know, look, look, just find me the guy who's got the size requirement. Find me the guy who got the athleticism requirement. You know, you, you know, for every ten you get me, uh, I'll get you seven and a half that are going to somehow, some way, be, you know, parts of this, you know, parts of this team, and you know whether or not they end up being long-term starters, or I'll find you role players, I'll find you backups. But you know, these guys walk in right now, and above the guys, you know, I mean, they. The athleticism will help. Um, obviously, it's going to take a little while to get up to the speed. Sure, it's going to any rookie, and it doesn't matter. Obviously, what if you're getting drafted in the sixth round? Obviously, part of it is is the bullets are going to come flying, and it's going to be how you react to it. But you know, if you're going to gamble, gamble on somebody that at least looks the part, athletically can fit the part. Then it's just a question of when the bright lights go on. Can they play the part? Uh, guys, iTunes rating reviews, uh, please do me a favor. Go ahead over there. If you're not subscribed, make sure you're subscribed. Uh, go ahead and drop a five-star rating and written review as we continue here through, uh, obviously, with the PFF uh, draft assessment here with John Costco. You know what's interesting? Sorry. I know you want you're to good. take a pause there. But, so I was just kind of like looking up David Bakhtiari's numbers because Dave Campen obviously was a guy who, who coached up Bakhtiari into the best offensive tackle in the NFL right now. He had a 509. I mean, this is this is like the no no way that you should be like at all evaluating these picks and stuff. But he had a 509 40. Fanang and Ofo had a 508 Benches were 28 from Bakhtiari, 29 from Fanang and Ofo. The three cone drill from Bakhtiari was 7.7, and Fanang and Ofo was 7.71. 
and like it's kind of ridiculous how close they are in their um those well, numbers so well yeah. there you go it's it's fitting their resume find me and you know campman go to work this is this is why you're here this is why you're here. Um, now, seventh round selection out of Tulane. Now, I actually watched him a lot last spring because after the Jets had acquired uh, his teammate uh, Nickerson, I had, you know, ended up watching a lot of this. So, Donnie Lewis Jr. out of Tulane. Uh, you know, the deal is maybe he's slightly injured now. Um, so, we'll see what we get of him this spring. He might be a guy more for camp. Um, but active tackles. Tell us the rest of the story here, John. Yeah. So, this is a guy that obviously didn't have any workout numbers so like when you're taking guys in the seventh that you obviously you want to take guys that you know either like graded well or have some type of lead athleticism we have no idea like this is not a guy i evaluated you know this 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 spring because he just wasn't on the radar he didn't grade all that well he was a 73.1 uh you know for the season his Coverage grade was was a seventy one point five, and his run defense grade was a seventy six point eight. So, like, I think you know he's got the size or whatever, and um, you know there must be something that they saw in him. But as a seventh rounder, you're just kind of taking a flyer on a guy, um, and there's a big question mark because he didn't you know didn't uh, have any workouts. So, um, not a guy that I actually had had evaluated. I'm still going through. Obviously, I'm still decently busy, but when I get to it, I can, I'll be able to pull up all of his tape because. We do have it, but graded out is basically an above average, slightly above average level. And, you know, another guy here, the look, I mean, the Q quarterback room is deep. Um, if he, you know, doesn't get much, hopefully there's a way you stash him maybe. Um, but, look, if it's a guy you like here and hopefully you're willing to be able to give him a little time, marinate, uh, you go ahead and do it. I mean, because, look, I mean, as difficult it was to make fifth-round selections for this roster right now, it had to be extremely hard to find a guy and put a name down on paper in the seventh round. You know, knowing, I mean, they drafted a cornerback last year in the sixth round and didn't make this team. So, uh, Then I did want to get to one undrafted free agent, John. Um, and I thought it was interesting because they gave him essentially what is a four-year, I think it comes out to like $1.5 million. Um, they can get out of the contract at any time. But when you hand a four-year deal to an undrafted free agent, it obviously shows that, A, you really like the player, and, B, you think there's a really good shot he could make your roster. Darren Hall out of Pittsburgh, uh, you know, still the talk is not going away about Duke Johnson moving on from this franchise. So you're going to have to do something. Uh, you know, Obviously, you, know, you, ha- you have Hilliard. Obviously, you know you have Nick Chubb. But on the roster, those would be the only guys you know, to get you through the first eight games till Kareem Hunt gets back. So if you move on from Duke, this maybe opens, makes a, a pretty nice opportunity for Hall, a local kid. I, I, well, I know no, Hall kid. Yeah, so it would be interesting because um, uh, he, he tested out pretty well in terms of his uh, you know, pro day numbers. Uh, so good athlete, not anything spectacular. Um, strong with the 27 bench reps. He had a 4-2-5-40, which is plenty good for a running back, especially at one um, at, at 217 pounds, which is what he weighed in at. So that's really good numbers there. And then you, to look, you know, obviously look at what he did as, as a runner. He graded out extremely well. At, you know, he had an 83.6 uh, this past year. Some monster games that he had. Um, he had a, a 19 carries for 229 yards at averaging 12 yards per carry. And then in the next week, he followed it up with seven for 186, averaging 26 and a half yards per carry. <laughs> um, you know, he, he broke a good number of tackles. You know, he only carried the ball 173 times, broke 37 tackles. That's a pretty good rate there. Um, not somebody that uh, was ever utilized as a uh, catcher out of the backfield, 
Um, so, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how he is used. It's definitely, um, you know, maybe maybe he can turn into some better as a um, as a pass catcher in the NFL, but definitely gives him that insurance, I would say, for, um, you know, for uh, purposes if they, they tend to do happen to trade Duke Johnson. So um, really good numbers. He graded out a, at a really high level. Um, you know, averages a, a first down or a touchdown on uh, 30 plus percent of his carries. So uh, efficient when he when he does touch the ball, obviously, uh, as evidenced by a couple of those games. Um, and then, you know, forcing a missed tackle about a, a fifth of the time he touches the ball as well. So I think it's it's a guy that obviously with the good athleticism and, you know, for an undrafted guy, you know, I'm always about not taking high picks on, on running backs, and especially if you're going to get a good one, get one as an undrafted guy. Well, and then if you look at it, I mean, if they do end up moving on from Duke Johnson, you know, you're paying Nick Chubb a, a second-round contract. You're, you know, Kareem Hunt is not making much money. Nobody else in that running back room. Right there, yep. Yep, everybody else in that running back room will be making, making no monies. And, you know, I, I know everybody gets and wants to talk about this, but uh, look, you when you're manipul- you, you, the Browns are going to have to start manipulating the cap. So if you can find a way to do it somewhere, that's fine. If it's a running back group. It, uh, you know, definitely should be the running back group. I, I mean, as much as I love Duke Johnson, he, I mean, I don't know what his what his ranking of the position is now, but when they signed him, he was like a one of the a top ten paid running back in the NFL. And I love Duke Johnson, but he's that's just not worth it for a running back position. You can well, get, especially if you're if you're going to be third. No, I mean, you know, if if you had your full roster today, he's third. third and he yeah. makes the most money, <laughs> and he wants to be a slot receiver. So I think you, you, uh, if you can trade him for any type of asset like a Gerald McCoy, which has been rumored, you do it. Obviously, Joe McCoy is going to cost more to your team, but I think if, if you, you know, I was kind of looking at this last night. If you trade him a post June first trade or designated as that, I don't know if you can actually specifically do player for player trades that way, but. Um, it saves you, you know, a good couple million dollars in, in that regard, what you have to pay Duke Johnson. And, and maybe with the trade, because uh, you can work something out with Tampa Bay that they would take on the dead money or something like that. Doubtful, but, you know, there's always that option. And so, like, if you're going to finagle the cap and pay less to certain positions, running back is at the top of the list that you should be paying less to. I mean, let's look at the any team that's, been able to have productive running backs like the Denver Broncos with Philip Lindsay last year as a, a you know a UDFA. Uh, you, I mean, you you can find guys like that in the draft on a consistent basis. Yeah, and and the other thing though is it, it, it's you know I don't want to say it's fine because it's still a chunk of change, but if you're one of these teams where it's one running back specific, where it's Dallas and Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to allocate some more to it. But if it's, hey, I'm going strength in numbers, I got four guys I trust, even if one guy goes down, I still got three. And, you know, everybody gets a little piece of the pie. It's going to lead to guys moving on after two to three years. Naturally, this is the way it's going to work. But, you know, you get away. And especially, you know, with Odell, um, you know, and obviously, you know, there's some heavy contracts like Baker, you know, Baker and Miles and Denzel, their cap hits go up between one and a half to two million per season right now on the rookie contracts. So if there's a way to, you know, cut 
and you know this is the way they're going to do it with the running back position, and they have a bunch. It allows for still for the versatility. I mean, we talked about this last year, Freddie. I mean, you know, bunch of running backs caught the ball. I mean, it's third. Run, I mean, what would end up being their fourth running back? But you know, obviously they moved on from Carlos Hyde. You called a play where you let your fourth string running back throw a pass for God's sake. So, you know, everybody's going to get a little opportunity here. So it is fun with that. Uh, John, uh, you know, anything draft wise that caught your eye here that went past this weekend? You know, not just Browns, just anything in general. Yeah, I think it was. And uh, there were very few trades early on in the draft, which kind of, I guess, shocked me. But it also uh, it shocked me. It's like, well, why is this going on so long? Then that Thursday well, night went on forever for the limited amount of moves that went down. It probably, it probably felt like that to you, because probably maybe for Browns fans in general, just because the Browns didn't have a pick. But like, uh, you know, from my standpoint, like I was just busy working it, but. Uh, I think obviously Daniel Jones uh, being drafted six overall was a was a, probably the biggest shock of the of the night. Um, not the first one because Cleveland Farrell went fourth, um, a guy that we thought that would probably be available for Oakland at twenty four as opposed to four. Um, but like with Daniel Jones, I think you know it gets trashed a lot in, in, by most people. Um, but if you're let's. You know, as, as a quarterback, if you need a quarterback, obviously the the Giants do, and they at least recognize they that they did. I mean, if if he's your guy, take him at six because you who knows if he's going to be available at seventeen or eighteen or whatever it was. Probably not, but or, I mean, probably will be, but don't take that risk. Just get your guy and then figure it out later. Um, and you know, I I think I think also too that with with that pick, like. I mean, I'm going to defend Dave Gettleman here a little bit, but Duke's team was trash, like across the board, like not great. Like, and and then you had, uh, like, they graded out a really bad level for for pretty much everybody that was there. Um, and then you, he graded out decently well this year for for us, you know, and especially when you look at what's actually projectable to the next level. Um, that's you know, or, and what's important too. So, you know, what's projectable is a clean pocket uh, and throwing it to receivers with a, at least a step or more of separation. And he had the fewest number of those types of plays this past year. So he was obviously, he had a bad offensive line and he had receivers that couldn't get open. Um, and that, you know, they had, they went to a bowl game, I think. I mean, I don't, yes, I don't pay the- to Duke. So like, I, I think most of that was kind of him because he did, lead them so oh he had a monster bowl game and i think that's maybe what got some people's eyes or whatever oh um, yeah yeah look it's in you know it's look but this is also kind of where the giants are right now they are every you know you're getting your finger pointed at you you traded away odell beckham you took a running back when you know your quarterback is seems like he's on his last legs uh you ignore the position now you come back and all right we're gonna get the quarterback and everybody all right well look at some of these quarterbacks oh no not that guy and living here i mean like you're talking to some of these giants fans you go draft a small forward from Duke. You don't go there for your quarterback. And I'm just kind of like, he, not my problem, man. That's all for you guys to deal with. My thing right. is, is completion percentage of 59. Usually those things are the toughest things to overcome. I think, I think part of that is, is, you know, you don't, previously you would never know, how, well, how many, how many drops did he have or whatever, and what's his average depth of target and, and all that stuff. And he had 38 dra- uh, drops of all the top, you know that we, you know the of Kyler Murray, Will Greer, Ryan Finley, Drew Locke, Dwayne Haskins. He, that was the most by at least seven. You know, Will Greer had thirty-one drops. Daniel Jones had had thirty-eight. 
and he had fewer pass attempts than than Will Greer. So you know there is that aspect to it as well, um, and the fact that his his players aren't weren't getting open, and so that that also plays into it a little bit too. Um, yeah, his, his the raw stats aren't great. I think he's I don't ever think he's going to be a top ten quarterback in the NFL, but I think I think there's something there that's worth looking at who knows if it you know six prob overall over obviously that's way too high for him you know we're looking at like back end a second round type value that this guy has but i think you know in terms of like some of the, the advanced metrics that we look at that actually translate to the next level he does decently well in them and he also grades well in those areas so you're talking about eight yards or more down the field and like you know that's that's basically at the sticks or close to the sticks and and further which is you know the valuable throws with this receiver from with a step or more separation and from a clean pocket over the past two years his grade was second best of all the guys that the top you know eight guys and first round quarterbacks that were drafted and only baker was higher so like from a and but the thing is his sample size is also the smallest of those guys so that i mean there's something there Maybe it's it's a fluke and and this is you know because it's only seventy one pass attempts at that level or whatever, but at least what we've seen and the numbers that are there, he's good at least this year. Not a not a big sample size though. Okay, guys. So we have that. Obviously, you got everything Browns wise uh, from our buddy over at Pro Football Focus, John Costco. Guys, make sure you're checking everything out over there. Obviously, you know uh, it, it goes deep. And even John was able to give you some analysis on Forbes, and we're just going to call him Idaho State for the time being. So until I get a full on it, and I can say it about 50 times in my head to get the name right. Um, but you know, obviously, some things to like here. Obviously, you know, greedy. Obviously, you know, ninth overall. You know, as you know, John and the guys at PFF. Uh, you know, they liked maybe it was a little early, but the Taki Taki pick is one they like. Red wine as well. Obviously, the two athletic offensive linemen. Hall, the uh, undrafted free agent running back, had a pit. So some good here. So like I said, make sure you check everything out. Pro Football Focus, our guy John, obviously our PFF Browns guy, at John Costco 3 The Locked On Browns Twitter account, guys, says, you know, always follow back me personally, at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Um, just again, thanks guys for all the support the last few days. The numbers, it's 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 just been insane, and I uh, you know, obviously a ton of new people here now in listening, enjoying the show, and I, I couldn't be more appreciative, and more thankful. We'll continue to get you out some great content, and you know, Buster Butts here. We'll get a chance to have a little bit more fun here now that we're you know a little bit you know more of the uh, the laid down portion of football as we get to you know enjoy spring and summer. Bend your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound LGB on the LOB. Let's go Browns.